You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your life, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversations with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I've recently created a private community for us to continue these supportive and uplifting conversations. Click the Join the Art of Parenting Community Here button on this page and I will see you there. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. And I just have to say Happy New Year to everybody because this is the first uh, interview that I am doing of 2023. So I hope everybody is doing well and has had a fabulous new year. And so today I have a special guest for you, Tilly Storm. And Tilly is a holistic sex and intimacy coach for women. So I am... I'm kind of excited to hear what that all means and how we can be of support to our listeners and such. So Tilly, thank you for making the time to be here and to have this conversation with me. Yes, I am so excited. Thank you for having me on. Yes, wonderful. So I always start with this uh, question about asking my guests to define the art of parenting. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think raising kids in alignment with my core values without sacrificing or losing myself along the way is a great way to define that. Uh, Because for example, if my biggest value is freedom and sovereignty and parenting in a way that instills these two core values is important to me, It means I also get to learn how to maintain my own sense of freedom and sovereignty, even with the responsibility of parenting. And that, for sure, is an art. I think we'd all agree on that. (laughs) Definitely. And and it will be nice to know, like what are the art techniques to do that? Because that's, that's, that's a tall order, but, but, but yes, you know, it is about raising our, our beautiful little humans and at the same time, raising ourselves and being true to, you know, like you say, our values. So wonderful. Wonderful. So, so before we get a little bit too involved in our conversation, I'd love if you could share uh, with our listeners a little bit of, of your background and how you came to do the work that you're doing today. Yeah, absolutely. I am a holistic sex and intimacy coach. I got into that after uh, working in a birth center for a long time as a doula and midwife apprentice, which I know you do a little doula work as well, yeah? Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I was working in a birth center for seven years and also going through my own sexual awakening after having my kids. My first baby uh, was born when I was 23 years old and it was a very much an awakening experience for me. It kind of rocked my world in terms of 
the way that I birthed him, it was a very spiritual experience. Um, I actually had an unassisted birth with him that kind of set me off on this path of a spiritual type awakening. I really got into yoga and meditation and all those sorts of things back then uh, and started diving into my sexuality maybe about three years after that, after I had my second kid, which was a very different birth experience. But um, after having them, I started to notice that I felt really awkward and weird in my body. I hated how my boobs would sag after breastfeeding. Um, I didn't like having sex with the lights on. Uh, I just felt uncomfortable in my body and I didn't know what the source of that was. So I started diving into some things, reading some books, and I recognized that it was actually from the way that I was raised and uh, with a lot of guilt and shame around the body and sex and not trusting the body and how the body's bad and, you know, you can't trust your desires and all of this stuff. So yeah, I started diving into my own sexuality the same time I was working at the birth center. And I noticed how so many women, when they would come into those postpartum appointments, how they would talk about how, oh my God, I'm not having sex anytime soon. Like this is not on the table right now. And it was a very common reaction to being cleared to have sexual intercourse again. And my, I'd actually done a lot of Tantra trainings and all this stuff. And my teacher had came out and said that she was going to be starting a sex, love and relationship coaching training. And I was like, yep, that's what I'm here to do with my life. (laughs) I don't know what it was about it, but everything just clicked in. And I just knew it in that moment that that was my calling, uh, even more so than being a midwife and doula, even though I really enjoyed it. So yeah, that was back in 2016 and I've been working full time and have a a podcast as well that I've been doing since 2017. Wow. And that's, that to me, just the way that you describe it, I can really feel like when we, when we step into our calling like that, that, you know, there was things going on in your, in your intimacy, you were noticing other women. And then this, this, um, mentor of you suggested this and it was like, yes, this is it. (laughs) Right. It's kind of like everything clicks. I love that. Um, I love that. So there's there's a lot to unpack there, I think. Um, and I would love to start with what you said first about this notion of not liking our body or not accepting our body or not accepting our, our own desires. And I'd love like how as as parents, because this is this is kind of, you know, predominantly for parents, uh, this podcast is how can we be aware of that? So, you know, we're maybe aware of it for ourselves. And and I think that that's, we, we will get into that. But more, how can we be sure that our children don't experience the same, you know, idea about our body being, being bad or not? not really being in tune with our own desires. Like how, how do we start that whole path for that, that positive path, I guess, for, for our own children? Yeah. Well, it starts with you. Uh, it always starts with you. When I started diving into my own sexuality, there was a lot of resistance, but the curiosity over well, it outnumbered the resistance, basically. I was too curious. And I remember 
having a conversation one day with my partner at the time and I was like, oh my God, I can't imagine this being all there is to sex because it just, there's nothing that exciting about it. It was just kind of blah, things that just, you know, there's like this one way of doing everything. And then uh, that was kind of the the light bulb that started the trajectory of like, oh, well, I wonder why that is. Well, I was raised by a family where pleasure was never a priority, where you always put your pleasure last, where, you know, a lot of the early conditioning was that pleasure is only for men, that it's something you do for people. And it's not something you give to yourself unless all of the check boxes are, are checked, right? Uh, all the things are done. And then maybe at the end of the day, you can give yourself a little bit of something. So I was starting to become aware of how I was raised and my own conditioning around pleasure and sex. And that led me to really diving into even deeper, like the emotional aspects of it, the guilt and the shame that I had growing up around my body, not trusting my own tuition, not trusting uh, that my body was actually not something um, evil or terrible or anything like that, that my body had an intuition of its own. My birth experience actually really helped me to, um, have that blueprint of like knowing, oh no, the body does know what to do. It absolutely has a mind of its own and it must be intelligent in some way. So highly, highly intelligent, I will say. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So much. So yeah, I mean, getting past the initial blocks in myself was really required to be able to help my children uh, develop their own blueprint around how they feel about their bodies and eventually their sexuality for themselves, which they're 12 and 15 now. So they're starting to come into that. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting because people will ask me often like, well, how do you raise pleasure positive children? Or how do you make sure that they don't get the same conditioning you got? And I'm always like, do the work yourself because when you do it for you, you aren't going to unconsciously pass that on to your children anymore. Right. Because they pick up on that. Yeah. So true. And, and, you know, it's fascinating because it's true that most of, you know, everything that we want to pass on or don't want to pass on to the next generation, it's our own inner work that has to be done first uh, and foremost. So it, uh, you know, the pleasure, pleasure is no different. So, so love that. And, you know, and I was asking, cause I know for me, there's, there's a real, uh, you know, I work mostly with very young children. So some birth to, to six, and even there for me, there is a whole, you know, real way to communicate about our body image, about consent, um, and so forth to, to, to our young children. And so that, that's kind of, you know, wh where, why I was asking that, but it makes total sense when you say that it's really first our, our own work and, and, you know, even, you know, being okay with, with how our body looks and, and, you know, I don't know if, if, you know, that's something, um, you're pro or against, but, but even walking around naked in our own homes, like that, that children see that we're, we're, we're fine. <laughs> right? That there, there's no shame in, in, in our bodies. So I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I do, I have always done that actually. <laughs> I never had any shame around it because I, 
remember a very distinct experience growing up of walking out of the bathroom naked when I was six years old. No, I wasn't even naked. I had a towel around me. And I remember my my parents fussing at me because I didn't get dressed before I walked out of the bathroom. At six? Yes. When I was six years old, I remember it like it was yesterday. Like it was one of those experiences where it was an imprinting experience where I got the imprint that, oh, there's something dirty or gross or wrong about my body and I can't. You had to hide you know, it. I have to hide it. Yeah. And that was what I was experiencing in my sexuality at 27 years old when I started to dive into this stuff. So it's interesting how like small little experiences like that and seemingly insignificant end up impacting our sexuality and our relationship with our body later on. Sure, sure. No, completely. I mean, that that's a big message about our, our body image. That's, that's fascinating. Because for me, uh, I mean, in, in my in, you know, raising my own children, I have my second was he went through this period where it's like he could not get dressed. <laughs> and it was just like, come on, dude. <laughs> and I remember very well one time we would, we would in, in French, we, we speak both English and French at home and we would um, have this French word for, for naked butt. <laughs> and he said, my name is not naked butt. My name is, you know, so-and-so. And it's true. It's just because, you know, he just, that's how he dressed for for you know many of days unless we had to go out of course but uh, so oh, yeah and and to me I mean it's so important to let children like be free of you know uh, clothes and not have to to hide and all of that so wonderful so when you were uh, so so now you know I'm I'm assuming that you work with uh, maybe new parents so so parents who you know, have had a baby, have, you know, gone through pregnancy, gone through the birth, and now they're back to, you know, they have the green light to have sex again. And like you were saying, you were seeing that a lot of women were like, uh, no, no, thank you. How do you, how do you kind of work with them to be able to get back to, to maybe enjoying sex or, or even wanting sex? Because I mean, we did, you know, start a family and sex was probably <laughs> is the way that the family started. So how do we get back to it in a, in a fun and pleasurable way, I guess? Yeah. Well, I would say that most of my clients usually work with me once the baby is at least a year or two old. There's definitely okay. that initial period of postpartum that your body is literally giving you the hormone structure to not have another baby for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the body being wise and your hormones being wise that, you know, your body needs time for recovery. Uh, so I always like them to get past that initial postpartum period before we really dive into lack of desire issues. And that's really what I'm an expert in is helping women ignite their sexual desire again, helping them get their mojo back after having children. Sometimes it's way later on, but I'd say the majority of my clients, you know, they have kids and preschool, middle school, somewhere around there. Some of them are older as well, but it, there tends to be this issue of like, 
you know, uh, he always wants X and I don't, and I don't know how to deal with this, you know, the mismatched libido problem, all of that sort of stuff. So some of the basic things that get to happen to get that desire back is to begin prioritizing your sex life and relationship in the first place. Because when you have young children, that's one of the first things to go. <laughs> it's one of the first things that you're like, oh, this isn't so important right now. But when you think about it, like, did you ever get in a relationship and think that one day you would just stop having sex with your partner or think that you're having kids and you having a career or a business were going to make it so that you couldn't have a great sex life and a connected relationship? No, no one gets into a relationship thinking that. Yet the majority of people, that's the thing that ends, ends up happening because we tend to have this uh, this conditioning that says, oh, if things just don't work out, if, you know, I don't feel the attraction for him again, then maybe that just means we're not meant to be together. Like we live in that disposable relationship society, right? Where we just think, oh, well now I'm going to have to put work into it, or I'm going to have to like do make it a thing. <laughs> and that's just another thing I got to put on my to-do list. And that keeps people from prioritizing it and making it something that they work on in the first place. So I think as a society, we've got to get rid of that disposable relationship, you know, way of thinking that, oh, well, if we got to work on it, then that just means we're not meant to be together or it's just too much for me to deal with right now. Well, if you continue to do that, you're going to end up resenting your partner, probably wondering why you ever had kids in the first place and thinking you made a mistake, which is what happens to so many people. And then wondering, well, how how do I fix this? Like, how can I have both a fulfilling sex life and relationship and be a good mom? So you got to start prioritizing it, doing a weekly date night with your partner, whether it means it's just like a going out adventure date night or a specific sex date night. Like I give my clients, I give them specific practices to do as a sex date night as a couple uh, to help get things going again. So it's not just like, all about sex. It's more about the intimacy and the connection and the communication building and then the sex. So uh, sometimes we got to lead in with the reconnecting and learning how to communicate again before there is like this actual desire for the partner. Does that make sense? Totally, totally. Because um, and I and 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 for me, I had a question that 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 I was thinking as you're saying that is. What is the the, I guess the relationship that with the birth, right? With with how the birth went and how uh, intimate they were during that pretty kind of life altering experience. Uh, so so I and and that's probably a question for later. But but to me, it it sounds like there's there's something there. Yeah, for sure. The birth experience is so big. I always ask the potential clients I have on a call about their birth experience if they have kids, because this is a huge, huge, huge thing. Uh, birth trauma is real. And many women who struggle with people pleasing and appeasing tendencies who kind of have lost their voice, who kind of go with the flow to avoid confrontation as a doula for seven years and having been to 162 births, I have seen it so many times. It's like an epidemic. 
where this is what women do. They just kind of like give their power to everyone else to try and not make a fuss about things, to not have any confrontation. And you see it in birth all the time. And it drove me nuts watching it because I'm not one of those people that do that. I, I somehow have a very strong like ability to advocate for myself. Um, and it was something that I loved being able to teach my clients how to do to avoid potential birth traumas. So one thing that really becomes an issue in a couple's sex life is if there was any sense of not feeling that I had autonomy and power in my birth. Uh, and like I tried to use my voice and no one listened that will often shut down your desire, your sexual desire. I know it might not make any sense, but it really does. Because if you don't feel that you can say what you want and be met with that and be honored for that, it's like a consent thing. It's like you learn that your boundaries don't matter. And that becomes an issue in your sex life with your partner if you are still holding on to um, you know, nervous system wiring patterns that haven't completed that stress cycle of that birth experience. So we can look at the birth experience and see kind of what went on there to really um, help you get your desire back and uncover your boundaries and help you to be able to stand up for yourself, to ask for what you want in the bedroom, to feel that you have a voice and not feel that you know, this is something that's just going to get trampled over. Like, oh, I'll just tell him what I want. He's going to do what he wants anyway. Or, you know, it's it's always the same thing. And I never know, you know, a lot of women don't even know what they want. So they don't even ask for it. So yeah, birth is and, and sex are very intertwined in that way. So we get to look at, at both. <laughs> right, right. And I'm sure you know of um, Deborah... Pascolini Bonero, I, I was uh, uh, mess up her name, but orgasmic birth. Um, yeah, I was on her podcast in December. Oh, and wonderful! Been, yeah, we've been yeah. good friends for seven or eight years now. Yeah, um, she's been on my podcast as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and I just love how she reminds us, you know, that that birth is such an intimate uh, time, and that you know the fact that we are birthing more and more in hospitals. It's like, you know, would you, would you have sex in the hospital room? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like that, that, and, and it's funny, like when she first said that to me, I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, it's not at all, you know, a cozy, warm, intimate place where you can, where you can just, you know, be yourself. So um, yeah, it's fascinating. And so when you when you work with women, and, and I know that you work with men as well. Um, but when you work primarily with women, is there like a, a I, I would think like there, there's, there's a whole rewiring to to kind of go through to maybe get over it, you know, or, or heal, not get over, but heal the the birth trauma and such. Are there like um, somatic techniques that you use, or is this um, mostly just mindset work? Like I'm, I'm just fascinated as how we how what the process would be. Yeah, absolutely. I am a somatics coach, so everything is body based. So we go into sensations and body what you're actually feeling in your body. And then we work from there. So whatever is alive, like I guide my clients into feeling, okay, so we start with a goal 
and then I take them through a five senses reality. And then we kind of discover what's in the way of that reality being your current reality. And through somatic experiencing techniques and gestalt therapy techniques, uh, we are able to really pinpoint different points of the psyche uh, to create an identity around specific aspects like um, maybe an inner critic or a, an inner child or a shadow aspect of ourself, things like this. So everything is absolutely body-based and then it goes into way deeper psychology from there. So it, that's getting really specific and like into the methods I use, but yeah, yeah, it's absolutely somatic. Yeah. And, and to me, I, I'm asking, cause you know, you, how you were saying earlier, how, how, you know, intuitive and wise our body is. And I think, you know, we, we do hold on to, to so much, right. That our, our body always knows what's going on. And I know with, um, with working with young children, I try to, you know, help them also notice like where they're feeling their emotions in their body. And so that they're, they, they can start listening to the cues that our body often gives us. Exactly. Yeah. Everything I teach women in and coaching is exactly that, how to listen to your body like that. <laughs> if I can get someone to do that one thing, we can literally uncover and heal and integrate anything that is ready for it. So that, you know, in terms of healing any sexual trauma, emotional trauma, birth trauma, like that's how we approach it is through it. And sometimes these parts of us are really, really tender and they don't want to come to the surface. And you might have walls and resistances to even contacting these parts and pieces of yourselves. But by gentle, you know, somatic and trauma release, we can begin to uncover them so that we can work through them. So yeah, there's definitely some ways to go about it gently. And it doesn't have to be like this terrible, terrifying thing to approach. Yeah. Right. Right. And to me, just listening to you, you know, describe, I, I can only say like how amazing that we're, we're evolving to, you know, to have like these practices, like to, to, to even have coaches such as yourself. Like I'm, I'm thinking of, of, you know, our mothers or grandmothers. It's like, that was, that, that must've been so foreign, Right. And that that new generations of of uh, women like I, I, I even see in my daughter who's who's 26, like she talks about her body, about her sexuality so differently than I ever did. And, and I just love that there is a very positive, you know, evolution. Oh, yeah. I always tell my clients that when they're experiencing a resistance around doing this work because it's always the thing that comes up at first is like, Oh my God, I can't believe I signed up to do this. And Holy cow, like, what am I doing now? What am I getting myself into? Uh, but that resistance, look, we are literally the first generation of women to have access to tools, embodiment, somatics, and practices that are actually effective in changing how we view our sexuality, how we relate to it, and how we relate to and view our bodies. No one that came before us had this stuff. So see it as a freaking blessing that we even get to do this because that means on the other side of it is your liberation. It's your liberation into feeling amazing in your body and sexuality, to be able to own all parts and pieces of you without feeling that you have to compartmentalize 
your sexuality from your motherhood, but you can actually have both. And we are the first generation who really knows how to do that. So it's actually a huge blessing that we've come this far uh, and being able to help heal and integrate our sexuality into all aspects of our lives. Yes, beautiful. And and the fact that we're then passing it on to our children. Yeah. Which to me is just, you know, the the what I always say is like our parenting is is, you know, our opportunity to to evolve not only as individuals but but as humanity. So if we're we're, you know, more in tune with that, we're able to pass that on to our sons and daughters. So um wonderful. Um there, there's some, there's another topic that I want to talk to you about because we, we kind of talked offline, but I, first, I want to make sure that you've shared everything about kind of, um, sexuality and pleasure and, and, and owning that part of us and, and, um, acknowledging that part of us as, especially as new parents, anything else that you want to add before we move on? Well, one thing that I find women really struggle with is prioritizing their sex life and their relationship because it feels like another to do. And I just want to say that your struggle to prioritize it is literally the conditioning that you are here to unwind. So it's not your fault that you're struggling to prioritize it. It just means that you can't expect sex and relationships just to go along and never have to put any time, energy or effort into them because they are learned skills. No one taught you pleasure. You didn't go to pleasure school. (laughs) You're lucky if you got any sex education at all. (laughs) So just know that if it's been challenging for you, it's most likely not your fault at all. And it is going to require some effort because these These two aspects of our lives are things that we get to learn because we didn't get modeled by our parents. We didn't get it modeled anything about sexuality from our parents, obviously, because that wouldn't be appropriate. So you really got to go out there and take initiative and and learn some things and gain some understanding and knowledge of how to make this an epic area of your life, just like anything else. Right, right. And that actually, uh, you know, what you just said kind of brings me back to that initial question is like, how do we make sure that we are educating our children to be in tune with that aspect of themselves? Being really open and honest with them every year, I have a check in with my children ever since they were about six or seven, I think. I would at the end of the school year, it's always at the end of school year. I don't know why that became a thing for us, but I check in with them every year and I'll go on a walk with them individually, not together. And I'll specifically ask them, okay, what questions do you have around your body or anything that you've heard about sex? And then we will have a specific talk every single year. So this year was interesting because my, well, my 15 year old, he just turned 15. So he was 14 the last time we had it. And he's like, nope, I lo- I've heard so many of your podcasts. I hear you record them all the time. <laughs> like, I feel like I know so much already. I'm like, oh God. <laughs> okay. Oh mom, you're so embarrassing. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, this year he, he actually did not have any questions, but 
we did have a, a good conversation about a couple of things related, but yeah, it was the first year that, you know, it just wasn't necessarily like, I have a question about this, but just having that specific time where you're point blank asking your kids what questions they have, they will let you know when they are ready for more. Right. That's important is to kind of follow their lead with it. Um, I think a lot of the sex education out there is too pushy. It's giving too much too soon. I am an advocate for like having these conversations early on, but I think it's kind of out of control at this point. Like we don't need to be teaching children about anal sex when they're six years old. Like that's completely unnecessary. Um, But there are people advocating for that and I am not in alignment with that. But yeah, there's definitely like a, a right time for it. And if, you know, I think the Montessori way would have, you know, let the child direct that, like let them come to you with a specific questions they have and you will get a, an idea for how much they are ready for if you just like open the conversation and let them ask. Right. And, and just, I mean, and it sounds like you have just made it a safe place to, to ask, like they, they can have questions, they, you know, and, and I would think that they don't have to wait for that specific time of year, but they know that you, you know, some are someone that talks openly about sexuality and pleasure. And so if they want to share something, they can. Um, my, my other concern, I guess I have for the younger generation is just the availability of uh, sexualized imagery, of pornography, of all of that, 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 you know, I think, unfortunately, uh, children that are way too young are, you know, sometimes falling into, you know, seeing things that they probably shouldn't see. Um, and, uh, and not even not even searching for it. But it's just the way that that, you know, the media is is so uh, sexualized. And, and I would think that that would influence our, our, our body image and our idea of sexuality. No? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a really fine line between being pleasure positive and raising your kids in a pleasure positive way and then talking to them and and giving them permission almost to watch these things. I have talked to parents who are like, oh, yeah, I caught my 11 year old watching porn. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's good. And I'm like, no, that is not the conversation that gets to be had. <laughs> that is not progressive. <laughs> like, that is not okay. Uh, so you saying, oh, it's okay for an 11-year-old to be watching porn, that's not helping their pleasure. Look, it, look this is how it is, okay? The neurons that wire together fire together. Pornography is the worst way that your kid could ever learn anything about sexuality. So to praise that or to even encourage it or to just like let it pass over, that's not pleasure positive. That is hurting your child. So there are people and there are articles online that I have found and read and been absolutely flabbergasted that that's the narrative that's going on. And that is like the over-sexualization of children. That needs to stop. I am, that, that really hurts my heart because I know what happens to people and the shame, the guilt, the intense fear, the specific kinks that come up. Uh, I know how that affects adults because I get to take them back to those exact experiences when they were young teenagers and preteens and the things that they got into accidentally. 
or, you know, when a parent wasn't as stern enough about, you know, what's acceptable and what's not, and didn't have an open and honest talk about pornography and these things growing up, I see how it presently affects couples and individuals and it ain't good. So, <laughs> uh, making sure that you're, you're, you know, being able to, what's the word screen for what your child is, is seeing and viewing online, all that. I'm an advocate for that. Like make sure they're not getting into anything too soon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Thank you. So uh, to change kind of topics, you you mentioned, you said, you know, the, the Montessori way. Uh, and so I'm interested in knowing what you know about Montessori. And, and we kind of talked offline, so I, I know a little bit, but I'd love for you to share with the listeners, like, what role has Montessori played in your parenting? Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> well, I knew that I wanted my children in a Montessori environment from very early on. Um, when they were two and three years old, I lived in Denver at the time. And I remember going tour different schools uh, that were Montessori schools for my three year old that would be entering into preschool. And, you know, learning about the different options. And I knew that's what I wanted for him for both of them. Um, one was only a couple months old at the time. But yeah, I had ended up putting them in a French immersion school. Um, we lived in Louisiana and French is, you know, our native language. So I'm Cajun French and uh, it was very important to me that they also learned French, you know, and were provided that outlet. So that was really cool. But post pandemic or during the pandemic, things really shifted for us. Uh, the virtual schooling was not working for my children whatsoever. <laughs> so I ended up pulling them out of school completely. And we traveled the world for an, a year almost. We were in Colombia, Costa Rica, and Mexico. And I hired a private teacher. And we just traveled and we learned how to surf. And we explored so many ancient you know, uh, ruins and all these amazing historic sites. And it was very experiential and amazing opportunity for them. But eventually they were like, okay, we want friends now. <laughs> so uh, I knew that I wanted to find another Montessori school for them, or at least a Montessori inspired school, something like that for them to go to. And they were in sixth and eighth grade at the time. It was so challenging to find a high school for my oldest because he was going to be going to ninth grade. And I just remember looking at uh, all of the options and how few there were. So I had gone to a private school finder website and I was like, I am willing to move anywhere in the United States that can provide my kids a decent education and like allow them to continue to explore their creativity and what they really like and what lights them up um, instead of this, you know, industrialized version of education that I didn't want them to be a part of. But I found uh, like 12 high schools in the entire United States that were Montessori. Um, and we ended up choosing one here in Hollywood Beach, Florida. Uh, so that's where we ended up. We actually just moved here um, a year ago to put them in that school because it was very Montessori based high school and there were so few and it was awesome. We love the beach. So here we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, how fortunate your children are to have you as their advocate. I, I have to say like kudos to you because 
that's not all parents that would, you know, move wherever the school is or take them out of school and travel the world. So I just have to say, wow, because that's beautiful, beautiful experience for them. Uh, and I had a, I actually had a very similar experience when I was 17, where, where it wasn't at all, you know, there was no pandemic at the time, but uh, my mother had to, um, took on a new, new position, a new job. And so I kind of had the option, this was my senior year in high school, had the option of staying in the high school or moving with her, dropping out of school and traveling with her. And I'm so glad I took the travel option because I think it's just such an amazing, um, you know, education to be able to witness and experience how other people live. And it's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. They, they weren't so, so super excited about it as it was happening. Okay. But a year after it's ha it happened and after we settled down, like they talk about those experiences so much and they look back on it with fond memories instead of, you know, what I was getting in the moment. So it really made me question myself as a mom, like, oh my God, am I making the right decision to take them away from their school and everything they know to do this. And, <laughs> you know, I really questioned myself for a long time, but uh, once, you know, time went on and then they started talking about things we did last year and, you know, people we got to meet and experiences we got to have, then they would talk about it and like, oh, we're so lucky we got to do that. And I'm like, yes, you are. <laughs> You're very lucky. <laughs> That's wonderful. And and I'm so glad that you you found a, a Montessori high school because that is really a model, you know, when you said the industrialized version, it's just so, so opposite of that where, you know, the 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 idea and 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 for our listeners who who might not know, but the idea behind kind of the um, adolescent program is what we call it in Montessori. So it's not even high school. It's just the adolescent program. It's really about them learning to, to kind of create community and to go out in the community and, you know, find the resources they, they need to, to learn what they're excited about, what they're fascinated with. So it's, it's always that same logic about following the child, but they're, they're really, you know, create a community. And, and her vision at the time was that actually the adolescent should be living away from home and actually kind of on a farm to to work the land and be connected to the land. Um, so I'm sure in in Hollywood, Florida, it's it's not that way. But you know, there there probably is more of a connection to the community, which I think to me is so so important at that age. Yeah, it really is. They are definitely encouraged to find the things that they enjoy you know they obviously have like a basic curriculum and things they get to do every day and lesson plans and all that stuff but they also have a lot of freedom to explore their passions and what they want and like and they're given a lot of responsibility <laughs> when people ask me about the my school choices for them i'm like well basically they're learning to adult at this age like they're learning adulting skills which is good because you know my generation my god we didn't learn to adult until we were in our 30s and we'd already like had life crises already because we didn't know how to adult exactly <laughs> so, exactly 
yeah, they, they're given a lot of responsibility around like if they want anything to happen, if they want to go on a field trip, if they want to take, um, you know, a trip uh, to Europe, then they have to figure out how to do that. Like the teachers are there for them to help them, but they are not given at all. Like, oh yeah, we'll set up some field trips for you or we'll set up the um, activities to raise money. No, the kids have to do that. <laughs> so it's, it's really good because then they get to learn the consequences of an action when they don't do anything. And then when they do ta take action and they get the rewards of that. And then, you know, they also learn how to plan and actually be functional adults. So <laughs> that's been really nice. That's wonderful. My, my, my wish is that we can integrate that in, in all the schools, but we've got, we've got, we've got some work in front of us, but uh, yeah, wonderful. Well, th this has been a, a delightful uh, conversation and, and I'm just being aware of, of our time. So, uh, you know, as, as a closing kind of question, I always like to ask um, my guests, like, so you mentioned, you know, you were 23 when you had your first child and, and that he's 15. If you were to go back maybe 16 years ago, uh, when you were first pregnant, what kind of wise words would you tell yourself today, knowing all that you know? Just don't lose yourself and all of it. Do not lose yourself that you've got to maintain your own identity apart from your children, that you have to do the things that are important to you, maintain your hobbies and whatever things really light you up. And don't ever think that you doing those things is somehow taking away from your children or doing them a disservice because you got to maintain like your own sense of sovereignty and identity throughout motherhood. Otherwise you're going to end up an empty nester and like, <laughs> I don't know who I am anymore. Right. <laughs> so yeah. And then uh, you might harbor a lot of resentment and all of that stuff too. So yeah, don't lose yourself. Beautiful. Beautiful. And any, any closing words that you would like to leave our listeners with today? Um, yeah. I mean, if you just want to find out more about me, learn about what I offer, you can listen to the multi-orgasmic millionaire podcast. And I also have an amazing five days to epic sex and pleasure training for high achieving women that you can download at tilly-storm.com. Wonderful. Well, Tilly, this has been a pleasure. I learned a lot and, and it was a lot of fun. And I thank you for your time and wisdom today. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, love. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. And do come share your takeaways in our private Facebook community. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.